Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode 248 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, RingTV.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel. Got a lot to discuss this week. Anthony Joshua stops Kubrat Pulev. Masayoshi Nakatani with the upset special, come from behind upset special win over Felix Bedejo. And then we got the return of Gennady Triple G Golovkin and Saul Canelo Alvarez. So we got a jam-packed weekend of fights coming up following what was a pretty damn good weekend of fights last Saturday. So uh, good stuff, man. Rounding out the year with a nice loaded schedule. Uh, Again, episode 248 of TNC for the week of December 19th. And as always, I ask you guys, please make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you give the thumbs up. Uh, gives uh, give us ratings, reviews, all that good stuff. It helps us out tremendously. Make sure you're following me on social, all the handles, Montero on Boxing, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. Make sure that you're following. Also, a quick programming note: we are not going to do a show next Monday because uh, that's the holiday week. That's Christmas week, and there's no fights next weekend to uh, preview or anything like that. So what we'll do is we'll return next next Monday. December 28th, and we will do a preview of Ryan Garcia's fight with Luke Campbell, of course. That's coming up. That's the first fight in January. And then we'll do year-end awards. That's always fun to argue about, right? Uh, You know, fighter of the year, fight of the year, all that good stuff. We'll have that argument. Um, So that will be in two weeks, okay? But in the meantime, maybe I'll do a, uh, a live chat on my channel, you know, one of those random Friday boxing chats or something. Those are always fun. Might do that. So over the weekend, uh, we had a meeting with the BWAA, and we voted on our end-of-year, year-end 2020 award winners. We just narrowed down our nominees, and we decided on our top five, you know, in each category and all that. I can't, I'm not at liberty to discuss who the nominees are. We will be releasing all that stuff in in the coming days and weeks, and then we'll vote on it officially. All right, so not a whole lot of news and notes. Um, you know, it's the end of the year. Things are winded down. Not a whole lot to talk on a news front. But I wanted to go on a rant real quick about judging. And I know I've talked about this subject a few times. Not trying to beat a dead horse here, but it does bear uh, discussing once more. Okay? So hear me out, guys. want to talk really quickly about judging. Now, poor judging, poor ring officials in general, whether it's referees, whoever it is, it's as old as boxing history itself. We're always talking about it. I get it. It's a dead horse issue, but it requires a constant beating, okay? Last weekend, Adelaide Bird worked the top rank on ESPN card in the bubble at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. And I want to state for the record, I want to preface I have nothing against Adelaide Bird as a human being. I've never met her personally, but everyone that I've talked to who knows her personally says she's a very nice person, very good person who uh, is passionate about the sport of boxing, which is something I can appreciate. However, there is a track record of questionable scorecards, and not just scorecards that are a little off, that have people scratching their heads, but scorecards that are so bad, it's it's almost baffling. It's difficult to understand what she's seeing because even a casual sports fan who doesn't really know much about boxing, a a complete novice, can score most fights. And we had a fight like that last weekend on the Stevenson Clay undercard. Uh, Robisi Ramirez 
he went up against uh, Brandon Valdez. And this fight ended with a TKO six win for Ramirez. So the scorecards uh, didn't change the outcome of the fight. And, and I hear some of you right now saying, well, Mike, who cares what the scorecards were? They didn't change the outcome of the fight. The right guy won. Who cares? It matters because it's only a matter of time before a poor scorecard does affect the outcome of a fight. So uh, at the time of the stoppage in the sixth round, two judges had Ramirez way up, which was correct. He, he was clearly winning the fight. He was dominating the action. One judge had him up five rounds to zero. Another judge, I think, had him up four rounds to one. Somehow, Adelaide Bird had Brandon Valdez up at the time of the stoppage. Now, again, doesn't matter because Ramirez scores the TKO6 win. And I get it. It didn't change the outcome of the fight. So, so why rant about this? Because, guys, you're playing the numbers game here. You're playing the odds. You're playing Russian roulette, honestly. At some point, there's going to be another Canelo Alvarez versus Gennady Golovkin. Go back to the first fight, okay? Uh, most people, when I say most, over 90%. Felt that Gennady Golovkin won that fight. But even if you give Canelo Alvarez every swing round, it's a draw, okay? Adelaide Bird scored that fight 10 rounds to 2 for Canelo Alvarez. And that's one of those scores where, again, it's so bad that you question her, her mental stability. I mean, it, that's so far off from what anyone, even the most diehard Canelo Alvarez fans saw, right? It, it's difficult to understand. Well, that's the case here with this Robisi ramirez Brandon Vidal's fight. Clearly, Ramirez was winning. Anybody could score that fight. Uh, maybe you give a round to Valdez. But to have Valdez ahead five rounds in is just another example. And there's plenty of examples that I could point out in recent years. If you're going to be upset the next time we get a Canelo-Golovkin-type score, and you're not upset about what happened last weekend, even though it didn't affect the outcome of the fight that time, that you're being a hypocrite and you're being inconsistent. And I'm not just talking to boxing fans right now. The onus is on promoters, managers, advisors, trainers, even fighters yourself. And I know all of you watch and listen to the show. The onus is on you to push back on these commissions when they give the list of ring officials for an upcoming fight card. And you see Adelaide Bird. And for the record, she's not the only one. There are several I could point out. And it's not just judges. Again, it's, it's referees too. It's all ring officials. There are questionable ring officials who have a track record of bad calls. Going back decades, some of these guys, and they continue to get regular work. You have to push back on these commissions, okay? In the case of Adelaide Bird, she is in a position of power, institutional systemic power, in the most powerful commission in all of boxing. That matters, okay? Yeah, this one particular time she was scoring uh, an undercard fight, buried on an undercard on a mid-level show at the end of December. I get it. But there's going to be an incident where it does affect uh, a mainstream type of fight, like a Canelo Golovkin, where the mainstream sports media is paying attention to us, okay? Not just diehard degenerates like myself. Not just a few of us, but everybody, the next time that happens, the next time we get a Canelo 118, Golovkin 110 kind of score, when the mainstream is watching us, they're going to laugh at us, and it's going to further smash us underground. We're already a niche sport 
We're already on life support here in the United States. Boxing globally bigger than it's ever been. In the United States, life support. Let's stop lying to ourselves. You have to push back because this will rear its ugly head again in a big, important matchup when everyone's watching and when we screw it up in front of everyone. Again, we get kicked further underground, which is where we don't want to be, right? We want to build this sport back up. We don't want to push it further underground. So please push back on the commissions when they try to prop up these poor ring officials. NSAC's not the only one. They're just the worst offender. They operate like a bad teacher's union, like a bad police union. They protect inept employees. You have to push back, ladies and gentlemen. It can't just be me and a few other guys in the media, me and a few other fans out there bitching about this. The people inside the sport need to start pushing back. Okay, rant over. All right, guys. Had to get that off my chest. So, hopefully that wasn't too much. All right. Now, let's get into fight review. All right. Last Saturday, we had three big shows. Let's start over in London. Uh, Matchroom on the zone. Anthony Joshua, KO9 win over Kubrat Pulev for Joshua's unified heavyweight titles. Pulev was dropped in the third round, hurt pretty bad in the third, uh, turned his back to Joshua at one point, and then dropped twice in the ninth, and he was out of there. This was a pretty one-sided fight. Pulev had a few moments, but they were few and far in between. Joshua really controlled the action, but he didn't do it as exciting, as thrilling as some of you guys out there would like because he was criticized all over social media and even during the broadcast. Uh, Brian Kenny on the zone call here in the States said that uh, AJ was fighting like someone who lacked confidence. That's not exactly what I saw. I saw somebody being careful, cautious, tentative at times. Yeah, but uh, hey, it's heavyweight boxing and there's a lot on the line. There's tens of millions of dollars on the line next year uh, fight with Tyson Fury, possibly. So I don't blame Anthony Joshua for being somewhat cautious against a guy like Pulev, who does have a good right hand and can hurt guys with it. So there was a little bit of Vladimir Klitschko in the way that Anthony Joshua fought, and some people didn't like that. Hey, guys, Vladimir Klitschko, one of the top dozen or so most accomplished heavyweights in the history of the sport of boxing. And I voted for him for the Hall of Fame this year. He will get in first ballot, unanimous. I don't know one person in the BWAA that did not vote for him. I'm sure there's a couple, but he will get in the Hall of Fame. If Anthony Joshua has half the career Vladimir Klitschko had, he'll be pretty damn happy. So him emulating a little bit of Vladimir Klitschko, a little bit of Lennox Lewis post Hasim Rahman, post Oliver McCall. Hey, man, good for him. Good for him. So uh, now, does that mean he's going to beat Tyson Fury? I don't know. But people saying that Tyson Fury is going to absolutely dominate Anthony Joshua, if and when they do fight, and nothing's official yet. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. I favor Fury, but it's really 60-40, guys. It's not like I think Fury is going to blow him out because AJ poses some stylistic uh, problems for Tyson Fury. Now, he took big right hands, quote-unquote, from Deontay Wilder. I get it, but everything Wilder does is uh, pretty telegraphed. You know exactly what he's going to do. It worked in the first fight with Fury because that wasn't 100% version. But in the second fight, he didn't land one flush shot on Fury. Fury rolled with a couple of the punches that Wilder threw. But Anthony Joshua can set up punches, and he can throw uppercuts, hooks, 
He does uh, a little bit of everything that Deontay Wilder can't do. And he's shown us in spots that he can fight backing up. So now, against Tyson Fury, whole different animal. I get it. But um, I, I like the style that Anthony Joshua is employing here because he's improving as a fighter and showing extra dimensions. That's called intelligence. And that's called uh, prolonging your career. So I, I, the criticism doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I, I, because he was knocked out, and this happens especially with heavyweights, especially when it's the heir apparent heavyweight. It happened with Lennox Lewis, played by Klitschko. Now you're seeing with Anthony Joshua, we, we, plenty of others we can mention. But when these guys have a bad knockout loss or multiple bad knockout losses or you see them get hurt, man, they get overly dissected. Fans and media, all these amateur psychologists just over-dissect Anthony Joshua so much and try to get in his head. And Dude, just enjoy the damn fights. Jesus. The guy has a pretty good record so far. Not indestructible. He's extremely vulnerable. But guess what? So is Tyson Fury. He was dropped by one of the most limited heavyweight title holders in recent history. Okay? I get it. Deontay Wilder has dynamite in that right hand. He's also extremely one-dimensional and limited. And his skill set's trash. And Fury was dropped. Fury was dropped by Steve Cunningham. Fury punched himself with an uppercut in the fight. Okay? All these top heavyweights are flawed. Pound for pound, guys, heavyweights are not on the same realm as other fighters. That's why I don't rate heavyweights on my pound for pound list until they've accomplished something really significant and or dominated their division for years. The last guy to do that was Vlad. Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder. These are not pound for pound level fighters, at least not yet. Pump the brakes. All these guys got vulnerabilities. And that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it fun. Anyway. Hearn, Eddie Hearn and Bob Arum claim that they're going to begin negotiating for a fight between Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury immediately. I'll believe it when I see it. Call me uh, a skeptic. Uh, call me, you know, a, a pessimist, but I'll believe it when I see it. I'd love to see it, though. Don't get it wrong. I mean, it's the biggest fight in boxing. Now, a fight between Fury and Joshua, and I've seen polls on, on Twitter and stuff like, which is bigger, that fight or a fight between uh, Bud Crawford and Errol Spence and, you know, name a few other fights. Guys, it's not even close. A fight between Joshua and Fury right now, it's not just the biggest fight in British boxing history, and it would be hands down. It's not just the biggest heavyweight fight in a long, long time, but it's the best and most significant fight you can make in all of boxing right now. And, uh, I mean... Uh, commercially, okay, it's not going to be up there with a Mayweather-Pacquiao or anything like that. But I would say, in historical terms, it would be more significant because these guys are in their prime, they're heavyweights, the fight would be happening at both guys' physical, mental, emotional fighter peak, and that's not what we got with Mayweather-Pacquiao. So in my mind, it'd be more significant than that fight. Commercially, I'm not suggesting it would be, okay? I just mean in terms of significance and the due date, if you will. I think it's a bigger fight, man. That's a huge one, guys. That's a huge one. On the undercard, Lawrence Okoli, TKO to win. Uh, he actually looked exciting. Lawrence Okoli looked exciting in a fight. Crazy. He'll be in line for a title shot in 2021. And he has a good personality, de developing uh, style that perhaps he could bring some excitement and exposure to the cruiserweight division, which has always been underrated. Huey Fury, unanimous decision win over, over Marius Vak. Boy, is Huey Fury hard to watch. Just not an exciting guy to watch. 
Okay, let's go to Las Vegas, ESPN, uh, top rank on ESPN. Let's start with some undercard action. I covered this entire card for ringtv.com. I did four articles. I was up till two in the morning, Sunday, uh, covering this card. So go to ringtv.com, check out my, my articles on this stuff. Um, I post that stuff right as the fight is is completing, right? I get all that stuff out, boom. So you, you get my my point of view just as the fight's ending, right? Now I've had a day or two to think about it. It's a little more refined, but that stuff that I'm posting to Ring TV, man, that's just raw ringside recap reaction. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, on the undercard, I talked about Robisa Ramirez, TKO6 win. Uh, and the only reason that that's even worth bringing up is because Adelaide Berg. Adelaide Berg's freaking scorecard. Oh, God damn it. Hang on, guys. Of course, I keep getting phone calls during the show, and that's always messing me up. <clears throat> when people call me during the show, and I tell people not to, it freezes the video. Anyway, we're back up. Sorry about that, guys. Brief interruption. Uh, the only reason I, I mentioned the Robisi Ramirez win, because that's just a typical undercard showcase type fight, is because of Adelaide Bird's scorecard. This woman's had a few of those recently where it hasn't affected the outcome of the fight directly. But it's going to happen again, and don't tell me I didn't warn you. Also on the other card, Clay Collard, his uh, big 2020 comes to an end. His Cinderella 2020, this was his sixth fight of the year, comes to an end. Quincy Levias scores a unanimous decision win in an eight-rounder. And that was a pretty clear win for the fighter out of Louisiana. He dominated the action. These two actually had fought last year. And the difference is Clay Collard is the same dude he was last year. Levias improved. He just got better. And you can see it in there. Look, Clay Collard, some people are calling him the fighter of the year and all this. Pump the freaking brakes. This is a guy who, um, he did score a few upset wins. He actually beat three fighters this year, three prospects who had undefeated records. And he was just tough enough and just awkward enough. And these guys took him just lightly enough to where he was able to win. But the second this dude stepped up the opposition, and I'm not talking about top 10, I'm talking about top 50. The second he fought a decent fighter who knew what they were doing, he was going to lose and lose pretty handedly. And that's what this fight was. Clay Collard uh, is also an MMA fighter, says he wants to go back to MMA. He'll do much better there. His skill set is much, much better uh, suited for MMA. He, he's not, he's just never going to cut it big time in boxing. Uh, Top-ranked did great for him. ESPN did great for him this year. He got some exposure, made a little bit of money. And uh, I think he could take some of this and take it over to MMA and do well with it. So good good for him, man. He's a hard-working guy. I got nothing against him. I'm just saying he's just not a top-level boxer. Never was going to be. Okay, Edgar Berlinga, 16-0, improves or uh, scores another first-round knockout win over Ulysses, Ulysses Sierra who, in his previous fight, Sierra, took Vladimir Shishkin the distance. And that was in January. So when he took Vladimir Shishkin, who is another top-rated prospect out of Russia, who now fights out of the United States, a lot of people thought, man, Sierra is the guy that's going to be able to take Berlanga rounds. Well, it didn't happen. Berlanga dropped him three times in the first round. The ref called off the fight after the third knockdown. Um, I, I didn't know if the three knockdown rule was in effect or what, but the ref thought that Ulysses, uh, Sierra couldn't continue, calls off the fight. So Edgar Berlanga, 16-0, all first-round knockouts. Cool. 
definitely has heavy hands, okay, but not developing at all in terms of skills. And I think that this could set him back if it continues any longer. Next year, and, he, and for the record, he stated in the post-fight interview, he wants to step up the opposition. His team wants to step it up. They desperately need to get this kid rounds because he looks very, very crude. Now, he may have looked crude against uh, Sierra because he was just going for the first round knockout and just trying to blow him out of there. So it was just all power punches, loading up, trying to hurt the guy. I'm sure he's going to look much more skilled and refined in his next fight. But he needs to face somebody who could take the punches, not only take the punches, but punch back. He needs to take some return fire, work on defense, work on angles, setting up the power, all of that, because he can't fight the way he's fighting right now against the upper echelon, right? He's going to get destroyed. They need to develop this kid. So great. You got your first 16 wins by knockout in the first round. It was a little bit of a gimmick. It was a little bit of a setup, the opponents they put in front of him. Although I will again say Sierra just took Vladimir Shishkin the distance. So this was not a setup fight. Uh, I think they really wanted to get him a few rounds. But he needs to step it up big time in 2021. Okay, Komain. This was the fight of the night, in my opinion. The fight of the weekend, honestly. What a great one between Masayoshi Nakatani and Felix Berdejo. Fight of the year candidate. It's not going to win fight of the year, but it's certainly in the top five. I mean, Name me five fights better than this in 2020. So Nakatani down in the first round, down in the fourth round. But if you paid attention, in the middle rounds, there was a changing of the momentum. And Verdejo started to slow down just a little bit. And even though Nakatani's face was busted up, he had swelling all over his face, he had looked like some minor cuts, he kept pushing forward. And he was walking through everything Verdejo hit him with. He had, you got the sense that he had tasted the power and he had adjusted to it. And also he had adjusted to the timing of the Puerto Rican's punches because he was kind of doing the same thing. He was stuck in a pattern, if you will. And uh, there, there was just no offensive variety. Everything was a fastball. Everything. Kind of the same thing we see out of Oscar Valdez sometimes. Although, uh, Eddie Reynoso, they've tried to work on that with Oscar Valdez, right? But uh, Verdejo, just everything was a fastball. Everything's power. Everything loading up, you know. And he was stiff. He was kind of bunched up and stiffed. And Nakatani was loose. And so, seventh round, uh, clips him with an overhand right that hurts Verdejo. You saw him kind of... Just wince a little bit, legs shake, a little, did a little bit of a shimmy, and steadied himself, held on, did what he needed to do, but he never looked right after that. And so Nakatani just kept putting the pressure, putting the pressure. By the ninth round, Badejo was really, really fatigued. You could just see it in his face. His face was starting to swell a little bit. And he was looking tired. And he walked right into a power jab from Nakatani. Uh, did not respond well to it. Had a delayed reaction, knocked down. Gets up, but he's in bad shape. Immediately, Nakatani jumps on him, drops him again. Boom, fight's over. Great comeback from behind win for the Japanese fighter. And, um, man, what, what, more, what more could you say? I mean, last year, I, I think it was last June, Nakatani fought. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. I think it was last June. But last year, he fought Teofimo Lopez. And Lopez clearly won the fight. But Nakatani had moments. That was Nakatani's first fight outside of Japan. This Saturday was his second. I saw some improvement, 
But even if he never gets better than this, the dude's a handful for anybody in that division. He's freakishly tall and long for that division. He rolls with punches. Even when he gets caught, he rolls with them. You might put him down, but we've never seen this guy hurt. Both times he got dropped in this fight, he took the punch and he got right back up and kept fighting. There, he wasn't even like buzzed. He just got dropped, got up, kept going. So this dude is a machine. And I got to say, man, uh, Tiafimo Lopez, that win over Nakatani looks a lot better right now than it did at the time. And also uh, beating uh, Richard Comey the way he did. Nobody has done that to Richard Comey. He's fought some top guys like, like Robert Easter. And a lot of people felt that he beat Easter. Uh, came up short on the cards, but a lot of people felt that he was undefeated coming into that fight with Lopez. And he drilled him. And he goes out there and beats Vasily Lomachenko, who was no less than the third best fighter in the world, pound for pound at the time. So uh, Tiafima Lopez, I... His last three wins have all aged extraordinarily well, and they look great right now. This guy is really, really a future star, um, pound for pound level guy. Anyway, so Nakatani, by the way, claims he wants a rematch with Tiafima Lopez. And guess what? If Tio wants to stay at 35 and Nakatani heals up and they can make that happen next year, holy shit, that'd be a lot of fun on ESPN. For Tio's last fight at 135 before he moves up to 140, because we know that's coming. Dude, sign me up for some of that shit. That would be fun. Main event, Shakur Stevenson, unanimous decision win over Toka Khan Clary. Dominant performance by Shakur, but not necessarily uh, that exciting. Didn't set the world on fire. CompuBox stats. I know you guys hate punch numbers. Not going to read them off word for word. But there was a stat that showed in his first, I think, 15 fight. I think... Stevenson's had like 15 fights so far as a pro. He has landed, I think, five to one. It might be six to one. His 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 opponents outlanded them six five or six to one. That's really really impressive for any prospect. Now, his level of opposition has been weak. He's been fighting smaller guys, light punchers. He's yet to face a, a brawler, a pressure fighter, uh, a guy who could really punch a guy who's his size or bigger. He's yet to face any of that. I get it, okay? 2021, I think we're going to start seeing that. But even for the level of opposition he's faced, the improvement, and remember, I was ringside for Shakur's pro debut in his first couple fights, and I talked about how he had Bambi legs. He looked very unsteady. He looked like a boy. He is really starting to grow into the man strength, and I got to say, there's been marked improvement from amateur style to pro style in a very short time. It is impressive. He really, really is impressive. He's definitely one to watch, ladies and gentlemen. Speaking of another one to watch, uh, let's go to Connecticut, PBC on Showtime. Chris Colbert defeats Jaime Arboleda, the Panamanian who just uh, beat Jason Velez in his last fight. That was a good win for him. This was a defense of Colbert's interim junior middleweight title. Uh, who cares? I'm going to stop even mentioning these stupid titles because it's just not worth it. Anyway, good win by Chris Colbert. The Brooklynite, who I talked about uh, last week during the preview, rejected a chance at the 2016 Olympics, which I think is great. Screw the Olympics at this point, right? Uh, good win for him. I think he's definitely a top 10 junior lightweight now. We, we At ring, we're going to put him in the top 10 ratings, either at number 9 or number 10 this week. Uh, we were talking about that this weekend, just where to put him. 
but he's definitely a top 10 guy. I think he probably will rate higher than that very, very soon. He's just got to step up the opposition. That's quickly becoming 130 because of Shakur Stevenson, because of Colbert. Possibly you have Lomachenko moving back down. You've got Miguel Burchelt. You've got Jamel Herring. Um, you've got some top guys. Carl uh, Frampton's going to fight Herring. That's becoming one of the better divisions in the sport, man. And with the uh, the rise and the development of Stevenson and Colbert, that only deepens that division. So it, it's going to be fun to watch these guys develop and watch that uh, division, the, the new guard, take over some of the older guys in the next year or so. Also on this card, Ronald Ellis scores a fourth-round retirement win over Mape Korobov. Korobov is one of the most unlucky fighters in the sport of boxing, man. I just feel bad for him. He was winning every round of this fight. It was a domination, in fact, in terms of rounds. Uh, Ronald Ellis came in, I think, six pounds overweight, uh, completely lacked professionalism. When you're coming in that overweight, that's disgusting. And for this fight to even continue was pretty bad. But Korobov was clearly winning. It was on his way to pretty much shutting out Ronald Ellis. And then he suffers an injury. This dude just has the worst luck, man. His body is just shutting down. Just one of those freak things that happens. Ronald Ellis escapes with one here because uh, was not in shape, came in overweight, was going to lose this fight. I'll just go on record and say that. He was not going to win this fight unless he had some come-from-behind knockout type of win. You don't really do that against Matt Faye Korobov. So uh, he really escaped with one here. Also on this card, uh, Richardson Hitchens, split decision over Elgenis Mendez. Uh, most people thought Hitchens won this fight. It was competitive, was competitive, but somehow Don Ackerman had it 97-93 for Mendez. And this goes back to what I was talking about with Adelaide Bird. Um, for, I think Adelaide Bird's scorecard was even worse because that was such a clear win for Ramirez. This fight was actually competitive in spots and close in spots, but uh, Mendez did not win the damn fight. So for Ackerman to have it 97-93, once again, I'll beat this drum. The people involved in the sport of boxing need to start pushing back against this shit because the commissions aren't going to change anything. This is an institutional problem, a systemic problem in the sport. You can't blow up the systems. The people in power, in seats of power in these institutions, are not going to step down. They're not going to clean their own house. You got to start pushing back, Okay. When you see these judges' names on the list, say, we don't want this person involved. We'll move our damn show elsewhere. Anyway, uh, Hitchens uh, wins a close one. I think this this is kind of a learning-on-the-job type of fight for the prospect. He'll improve and get better from this. Okay, let's go to the fight preview. And we've got a lot of stuff coming up here. We've got like four, yeah, four or five straight days of boxing starting Wednesday, December 16th in Australia. Tim Zhu is fighting. And his brand continues to build over there. He's going to be a star over in Australia. He's already a budding star in his homeland. Thursday, December 17th, Charles Conwell, friend to the show. Had him on the show recently. Going up against uh, Kazakhstan native Madiar Ashkeev. And this will be at the Wild Card Gym on NBC Sports Network. So it'll be another one of those cards. That's a fun setup, man. That's just a fun setup, those cards. So that'll be fun to watch Charles fight in the main event there. And I think that Kazakh is going to give him a good fight. I really do. Friday, December 18th, Gilberto Zerdo Ramirez. Remember him? Yeah. Fighting Alfonso Lopez in Texas for uh, Zerdo. It's his first fight since last April. And he is promoting this event. 
So he has said, screw promoters. I'm not working with anybody. Remember, he's with Top Rank forever, and they did a great job for him. They really, really did. And he said, yeah, I could do this shit myself. So now he's fighting Alfonso Lopez in Texas, and this is on some streaming app or something. I don't even know. It's not being televised anywhere. You have to pay for this on some streaming service, as far as I understand it. Also Friday, the return of Gennady, Triple G, Golovkin, uh, from Hollywood, Florida. First time fighting in Florida, I do believe, for Golovkin. Uh, this, of course, is on DAZN. This is from Triple G Promotions and Matchroom. And he is going up against his IBF mandatory for his uh, middleweight, IBF middleweight belt, uh, Polish native Kamil Zermeta. So, uh, Triple G is a huge, huge favorite in this fight. A lot of people I saw on Twitter shitting on him saying, oh, Golovkin with another can. I get it, guys. This is a mandatory. So, look, say what you will. It's not a pay-per-view. I get it. Hopefully, Golovkin's next fight will be against, whether it's Canelo for a third time, Charlo, a top middleweight. But his last fight was against uh, Derevyanchenko. That was a pretty damn good fight. So this is his mandatory. For the record, they wanted to do this fight at early this year. I was telling you guys, they wanted to do it in Chicago, uh, where there's a large Polish population. And um, that, that's, that was the plan. But COVID happened and everything got pushed back. It is what it is. Uh, so obviously, I like Golovkin big in that fight. Also on this card, uh, Ali Akbadov uh, going up against Carlos Gongora. And a fighter from Ecuador who actually fought in two different Olympics for Ecuador. So um, I think he'll, he'll be a good challenge for uh, Akhmadov at this stage of his career. That's a, that's a good opponent for him, a good uh, build, building type of fight, development kind of fight for Akhmadov. And then uh, John Ryder is also scheduled to be on this undercard, although uh, something might change with that. I heard that he might be pulled off this card for some reason. Uh, I can't remember the exact reason because I just... Heard about it while I was getting the notes ready for this show. But last I heard, he's supposed to be on this show. Okay, Saturday, December 19th, uh, PBC on Showtime from Connecticut. Uh, several prospects on this card. Gary Antonio Russell, who is a bantamweight prospect, one of the 10 million Russell brothers. There's like 50 Russell brothers. They all box, and they're all pretty good. Uh, he's fighting on this card. A 147 prospect, Brandon Lee, is on the undercard. Emmanuel Rodriguez, Puerto Rican fighter, uh, returning from his KO2 loss to Naoya Inoue last May in the World Boxing Super Series tournament, going up against Filipino fighter Raymart Gabayo, who replaces Nonito Donaire. Nonito Donaire was supposed to fight Rodriguez. I was excited for that matchup. That was going to be a good, solid matchup. But Donaire tested positive for COVID-19. Now, for the record, Donaire says that uh, he has tested several times since then and came up negative. But he's officially off the card, and you're going to get Rodriguez and Gabayo. In the main event, Jerron Boots, NS26-0, blue chip welterweight prospect out of Philly, going up against Chris Van Heerden, who is coming. Um, oh, the only big dominant loss, uh, Van Heerden's lost a couple times, but the, the one dominant loss was a TKO8 loss to Errol Spence in 2015. So Jerron Ennis is going to kind of be competing with Errol Spence in that regard, right? People do the, uh, that triangle theory stuff. The triangle theory bros are going to jump in. So can Ennis be more dominant than Spence was? We'll find out. But this is a little bit of a step up for him. I like that matchup for him. And then, of course, the big one from San Antonio, Texas, Matchroom Boxing on the Zone. 
Saul Canelo Alvarez going up against Callum Smith for the ring super middleweight title. And I think the WBA has one of theirs and the WBC if you're in a vacant, blah, blah, blah. Like I said, I'm going to stop mentioning this crap. Um, if it's a legitimate title that a guy won, I'll bring it up. Uh, but if it's one of the 8,000 BA or BC titles and they're just throwing it in there, like at the last second, I think the WBC made the the super middleweight title vacant so they could get Canelo Smith in there, get that sanctioning fee. You know, it is what it is. It's branding for the BC. But um, so this matchup's intriguing because Canelo Alvarez is five foot eight, 70 inch reach. Going up against Callum Smith, who's six foot three, seventy-eight inch reach. So on the surface, you're like, okay, you know what? This is a huge size advantage for Smith. Also, he's undefeated, and he went through the tournament. He's the ring champ. Yeah, I get all that. However, in terms of opposition, Canelo's fought some top names in the sport. Now, maybe some of them. A lot of them were well past their due date. I understand all that. Sometimes catch weights were involved, rehydration clauses. I get it, but he's faced top names. He's been in top fights. Callum Smith, the best names on his resume are George Groves and John Ryder. Decent fighters, decent prize fighters, okay? But not guys that you'd put up there in the upper echelon that you call elite. They just, they just never were. So this is a quantum leap in opposition for Callum Smith. And so I have to favor Canelo Alvarez, and I have to favor him heavily. I would be very, very impressed if Callum Smith can not only go the distance, but win rounds. If he if this ends up being a 115-113 or 116-112 win for Canelo Alvarez, I would actually be surprised. I would be legitimately surprised and impressed by Callum Smith. But I think it's going to be much wider than that. I think Canelo is going to win a wide decision and possibly stop Callum Smith because that's a long, tall, thin frame. And I just, I've never seen Callum Smith uh, work well against uh, a guy that can get inside on you and crack to the body with skill, with the head movement, the punch placement, the uh, the science and the craft that Canelo Alvarez has and I actually think he might have the faster feet of the two. Canelo's not seen as a fleet of foot type of fighter. I think he's actually faster, not just hand speed wise, but with his feet than Callum Smith is. So that's how I see that playing out, guys. Uh, yeah, I get it. These are all kind of showcase fights, not the most exciting matchups. That's why there's no callers today, right? I get calls when there are exciting 50 50 kind of matchups. Showcase fights like this, yeah, not as much. I get it. However, you have some of the biggest stars in boxing that returned last weekend and this weekend, and that's significant. In a year when uh, COVID's been killing us and killing the sport, you got to get these guys back in the ring. I think um, it's, it's, it's important, and it sets things up for 2021. So um, I think that's it, guys. I think that's it for the week, man. Short episode, I know. We will be back in two weeks. All right, we'll be back December 28th. We will do year-end awards, and then we will preview Ryan Garcia's fight with Luke Campbell. Until then, happy holidays, everybody. Uh, Check my channel. Maybe we'll do some live boxing chats and hang out and stuff over there. Be safe. 
Uh, enjoy your friends and your families. Merry Christmas. And uh, yeah, I'll see you at the fights. <laughs>